Hi, I'm Darren Steele, and this is Think Queerly, a thought leadership podcast that cultivates inclusion, understanding, and social evolution for a more accepting, equitable, and humane world. Now, on the show, I explore LGBTQS plus history and social justice. I'll also speak with other queer leaders who are working to make a meaningful difference in their communities and for the world. So on today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Jade Pichette. They are the Director of Programs at Pride at Work Canada. Jade is an inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility professional based in Toronto. And currently they serve as the Director of Programs at Pride at Work Canada, where they work with over 250 large employers across Canada around gender expression, gender identity, and sexual orientation inclusion. Jade, thank you so much for joining me on the Think Queerly podcast. Thank you, Darren. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really happy to join you after uh, we connected. And uh, I'm calling in today from, from Takaranto, from Treaty 13 Territory, which was signed with the Mississaugas Credit, um, as well as the Williams Treaties signed with multiple Mississauga and Chippewa bands. And as a white settler uh, calling in from uh, this territory that's traditionally home of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, Wendat, and Miss Sagas of the Credit Peoples. Um, I'm very grateful to, to be a, uh, a person who lives in Takaranto or Toronto um, and calling in from here today. Let's start with where we're sort of at right now, maybe the last couple of months where summer seems to be winding down. And I don't know if it's a lot of fun for you or if it's a lot of work, but you've been on a couple of months of literally touring across the country for various prides in different cities from large to small. Uh, I think hosting uh, events, speaking. Um, I, I know, I, th- I think you were published some articles in one of the Calgary newspapers, which had of course some challenging responses, but <laughs> maybe this will give people a little understanding of the in-community uh, face-to-face work that you're doing. So take some time, tell me a little bit about what you've been up to for Pride at Work this summer. Yeah, so I I certainly, you know, I enjoy uh, my job. I enjoy getting to, to travel and, and to really connect with people from coast to coast to coast. Uh, but it's definitely, it is tiring. It can be a tiring season because pride for us um, lasts from basically the end of May um, until the uh, beginning of September, um, starting with Winnipeg at the end of May um, slash beginning of June, and then uh, Calgary at the end of uh, end of August, beginning of September. Um, and so I don't travel to all of them. Um, we do have a really amazing team. We've tripled in size over the pandemic, um, which has been a wild journey, I must say. Uh, but I do get to go to some of them and and support the others uh, remotely and get members of my team to go. So, you know, within that, we really have been trying to get out there again after you know, basically two years of only being virtual and and not uh, doing anything in person. And, um, you know, as a disabled person, getting out and traveling quite a bit has been a bit anxiety producing, but it's also been exciting. You know, it's it's really exciting to actually be able to reconnect because I think our community and queer queer and trans and two-spirit communities were, were based on connection. That's that's what our communities are based on. It's based on connection, and and some people can find that online and and 
you know, feel fulfilled from that. But there's a lot of us who who need more than that. We need that in-person connection and and networking. And, um, you know, it's it's really powerful to get to see the actual experiences of people in terms of hearing in person their experiences regarding employment um, and then being able to speak to that um, in different areas of the country. And, and really, you know, one of the things that I have found one of the most interesting is that when I do travel, so like I was in Winnipeg, I was in Halifax, I was in Calgary, you know, in all of those cities, I would hear, oh, we're so behind, oh, we have so much work to do. And the stories would be similar, you know, no matter where we go. Um, And so it's really important also to build that kind of national feeling um, and national connection and um, between the travels, trying to get other things in like presentations, like um, some of our virtual programming, um, as well as, uh, as you mentioned, I did did get involved in some media, which which uh, made was was pretty impactful, seeing as it's very rare for um, trans inclusion in particular, but queer inclusion overall as well to be uh, focused in business sections of newspapers, including conservative oh, ones. Um, so, uh, you know, for, for that type of recognition, it is something that I think has an impact um, because we don't see many people who are trans and senior roles. We don't ha- see that very commonly. Um, and so it's, it's really powerful, I think, for some other folks to be able to just see that and also to, you know, hear the work that is being done and um, to, to know that, you know, there's people who have their back, essentially. So, right. Well, a couple of questions based on what you said. Uh, uh, an easy, maybe, well, maybe it's not an easy one. Um, was there a favorite uh, location for a particular pride? Uh, I mean, each each pride brings its own flavor, its own perspective, its own experiences. But for me, my favorite this year, this year I'm specifying, was uh, Halifax. Okay. Um, because I haven't been to Halifax as an adult. So that, for me, was kind of the first time that I got to do it. And uh, also, it was the first time I've ever brought somebody on a work trip with me. So I had my partner with me. Um, and so we got to to see the East Coast, see Halifax, connect with the community there. Um, and it also it just gives a much deeper understanding for me in terms of kind of what the, the local issues there were. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as as I, I feel like we've both been in this game for a while, <laughs> um, which is is not the case for a lot of a lot of folks. You know, uh, it's when you start looking at the decades of doing queer work, it's it has a a moment and so you know having done that for so long I remember times where you know very few people would um, be public there were very few you know prides there was very few legal representations as far as I knew there was I was the only out trans teen um, in Ottawa when I came out Um, and I nearly cried in Halifax just because of all the kids, all the like accepting parents and really like with the Halifax uh, pride that that's what I saw was kids from one end to the other, which I don't see that with every pride. I see a lot more kids than I used to at all prides. Um, But I mean, I, 
when I went to Pride with my mom as a kid, like I was the, one of the only kids around for sure. Um, so seeing so many children is just like, it warms my heart so, so deeply. Um, and also you can't get good garlic fingers when you're uh, in Ontario or out West. So, um, uh, so yeah, so going to Halifax was my favorite for this year, but doesn't mean there wasn't things I loved about, about other cities and that I think um, other cities do have. Um, to them so yeah well being toronto based uh quite some time ago or a few months ago i did an interview with uh one of the directors of small town pride um mm. and i forget which city exactly in halifax that was one of the three but there's just something about small you know it sort of brings shivers uh i remember when I went to uh, Carleton University, I was there for 10 years and celebrating Pride there was such a different experience than celebrating it in Toronto. But nonetheless, like you said, for all of us, even this year here in Toronto, going out was such a different experience after, you know, waiting three years and to be amongst yeah. our our people and <laughs> to feel that freedom and to also just be able to like dance outside again. So there was like, there are multiple layers of connection and community that were happening all at the same time um, expressed with the freedom of, okay, yeah, we can hug our friends. I mean, some people may be more cautious still with COVID restrictions, but it's if we spent all of our time outside so that we wouldn't be jammed like a sardine where you could still yeah. maybe catch COVID <laughs> in a, a cramped bar. Right. But yeah, it, it was a, a wonderful experience this year. It almost made pride that much more meaningful. It did. It did. I, especially, you know, I never thought we would see pride not happen, um, especially in like Toronto. You know, there, there are some cities who've had historically challenges with keeping their pride committees going. So like Edmonton is one example of that. Um, uh, they've had a lot of challenges in terms of keeping their pride going. Um, but even with, you know, some of the cities where we see kind of some turnover in terms of the, the pride committees like Ottawa and Montreal, you know, some of those main cities, I never really thought we would not see pride happen. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's too important. And um, this is and, what happened in Montreal. We were in Montreal and yeah. the interesting thing to interject here is on, on the, um, uh, I think it was the Saturday we were walking down. I, f I forget the name of the street uh, where our hotel was. And we're like, Oh, what's going on? Um, and it was actually the, the trans March that was going, uh, so going North. Uh, my directions might be messed up, but anyway, it was like, Oh, fantastic. So we got to see a parade. We got to see the parade <laughs> that was representative of Montreal because last minute it was canceled on the Sunday. So it was like, wow, how lucky we were we at the right time to be able to see this. And it was so highly organized and it, you know, everybody was having such a great time and it was like hot, like it was sunny and hot. I guess it was about six or 7 PM when they were marching. So I'm like, well, there you go for one of the first times ever trans people got to go first and they got, <laughs> they got the parade. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of a strange irony there, but I mean, historically, we have been the ones going first, regardless. So, <laughs> regardless of whether it's been accepted or not. Um, I mean, I I know even here in Toronto, like we've had a trans march since two thousand nine. I was at the first one 
um, that mm-hmm. they had, although um, their claim is it was the first trans march ever in Canada, which is not true. Right. Um, but uh, there was a trans march in Ottawa in, in 2006 that I was a part of, and um, which was very small, but it and it wasn't a continuous thing, but it did happen. Um, and uh, as we know, you know, going back to Stonewall and the like, trans folks, we've uh, we've been there and leading the way, even if we have occasionally been shoved to the side and. Uh, yeah, with Montreal, I mean, they have a really um, dedicated new group of, of organizers, right? It's a completely new committee this year. And um, I think sometimes when it comes to a new committee, you lose some of that historical uh, knowledge. And, you know, my last job was at uh, the Archives, Canada's LGBTQ2 plus archives. Um, and so, like, my knowledge of queer history is a bit higher than, than most. Uh, it's one of the things that I, I love and care about. Um, but I think it's something that, that we end up losing um, uh, sometimes. And, and we sometimes see that through how uh, things happen in terms of organizing and, and the like, because there isn't this ongoing connection, this ongoing knowledge. Um, and so things that are organized more intentionally by like small communities sometimes go forward, but then other things can sometimes get canceled and, you know, community challenges can happen. Like for instance, in Ottawa, their dike march didn't happen this year, last minute, um, uh, which as a former Ottawa dike march organizer who was back in the city for the first time in many, many years, I was a bit heartbreaking, but you know, they still had the picnic and even in Montreal, they still had people who took to the streets when the parade yep. didn't happen. So, you know, that, that need for connection and community is something that we see in, you know, every area of our lives. And I think, you know, it's something that translates as well into the workplace, uh, a feeling of, of belonging, a feeling of, of connection um, is something that we use. Uh, I mean, everybody does, but especially as queer and trans folks who have been consistently not given that connection by our community, sometimes our families, sometimes our religion, sometimes, you know, all of these different pieces. Um, we search for that and we try to find that. And and sometimes the workplace is one of the few pa- places where we also look for that, um, though, of course, often don't find it as well. So yeah, that need for connection is something that we see so deeply in our communities. Um, and that's the perfect segue to sort of the what I said about having two questions, um, and I, not to make this difficult on you because it might it might be uh, something you don't want to answer. So I'll give you a, a, a way out if you say no. I don't want to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's more of a challenge of where do you in your travels over the summer in uh, the work that you did in relation to businesses. Uh, representing pride at work what was what really stood out or what was really impactful was there a, a transformative moment um, that just gave you that sense of wow this is really important work that we're doing and this is actually helping people I mean that's a that's a great question. I don't think there's one moment per se is that that's that's the piece that's hard to answer because there were multiple. You know, I uh, especially you know, so when the pandemic hit, we were a team of four full-timers and one part-timer. And you know, 90% of nonprofits in Canada had their budgets cut um, that year. 
And, you know, because we are a member services organization, we're very based on those membership fees. We have no core funding from government. Um, it's all a community-based organization and, and funded by the programs that we put on. Um, and so I think a lot of people think we have a lot more uh, access than we do um, because of that, uh, because we work with so many different organizations, but we work with them because they're accessing our programming. Um, and that's how we have our, our funding. Although they pay for the fee, they don't get to choose what we do, uh, which is an important distinction because I don't think that's true for all uh, organizations that have, you know, funding from large employers. Um, and so, you know, over that pandemic, we really tried to pivot real quick because although we had a webinar series, um, we're not a virtual organization. We're an in-person organization, you know, primarily, right? Like even our webinar series was only uh, two years old at that point. Um, even though our organization has been around since 2008, you know, we very much had been focused on these in-person networking and educational events um, across the country where we'd have that, you know, more in-depth discussion. Um, and so we switched to kind of doing for the first little while um, in-person or virtual events every Wednesday um, at uh, noon Eastern time, because then that's 9am Pacific and 1.30 in Newfoundland. And so it's kind of one of the better times. There's no perfect time, but, but it was one of the better times. And we would have people who started like sending stuff in the chat saying like, this is the one thing I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, this is the one thing that's consistent in my life right now, um, which you know, as an organization focused on just like employment equity and inclusive employment and things like that, it was, you know, kind of shocking because we're, even though my background's in social work, we're not a social service organization, right? And so, but people were still getting that connection. But it's also still hard after two years of not seeing people and just talking at a screen to see what type of impact that you're making. It, it, the, the feeling of that impact is different because um, it's kind of like I put things out into the world, but what is actually happening with that? You know, are we actually having an impact? What is that? Um, and this summer... People reminded us in every city that we went, you know, in every city that I went to, I at least had one, but usually multiple people come up to me being like, I've watched your webinars, I've watched your programming, you know, uh, we did this specific thing um, to make some change. And so like one of the last moments, which I'll use as the example, um, was in um, Calgary. And because uh, that's the that was the last city that we did for our Pride series, um, and one person came up to me and and asked for a selfie and like, oh my goodness, everybody is going to be excited at the office if I have a selfie with you, which is like very weird to me in some ways because I'm like I'm you know I'm just a community worker that's all I am right and so for like I'm not I'm not a musician I'm not. <laughs> an artist. I'm, I'm a community worker who just does community work um, at a nonprofit. So, so being treated almost like a rock star that you need to get a photo with, it was a bit odd. But after that meeting and like meeting up, 
um, she actually sent me an email and, and she sent me an email saying about how touched she was um, at the event and talked about the changes that they had made at their organization um, over the last couple of years since they became members of ours. Um, and that really touched me. That moment really touched me because it showed that the recommendations that we are given are actually making change. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find one of the things is that that's like really powerful in this job is that I actually do get to talk to people about making very specific changes on a semi-regular mm-hmm. basis. And sometimes those are the people and often they are the people who are, you know, directors of HR, um, they're the manager of diversity, equity, and inclusion, whatever that role is, um, the head of their employee resource group. So people who actually have capacity to make changes within their organization. And we talk about the very specific changes, whether that's to their data, to their policies, their procedures, um, uh, their benefits and more. And so, I get to hear and talk to them about that, but then I don't get to talk about those pieces publicly because they're all confidential. Um, And so to have people do it in person, in public, is really a a powerful thing and something that that means a lot because I, I really, you know, I and everybody on our team, we're just, I mean, yes, we get paid because, yeah. People deserve to be paid. People <laughs> yep. thought I was just a volunteer. I'm like, no, this is my full time, full time job. Um, uh, but you know, the people on our team were here because we care about the work that we do, and we want to make that difference. And you know, we want to make sure that two spirit queer and trans folks have inclusive employment in Canada because we know currently they don't. Um, even if we've made a lot of progress, you know, uh, but we also have had a lot of backslides more recently as well. So um, it's, yeah, so it's those moments, uh, um, you know, not explicitly just one, but it's all those little moments that come up and and people say that they, you know, feel more seen, that they don't feel alone, that they feel like that, uh, you know, they tell us about the organizational changes that they've made. Um, It's those moments that really remind me why we're doing what we're doing. That's wonderful. So uh, is this still going on, the, the, the Pro Pride series, or was that what you were delivering over the, the summer? So that's what we deliver over the summer. So Pro yeah. Pride um, is one of our um, oldest programs. So um, when we were formed in 2008 uh, by mostly lawyers and um, folks on uh, uh, in the financial industry on Bay Street, because um, that's where we started. We're very beyond that now in terms of the different industries we work with, but that's where we started. And it's important to honor those roots. Um, and uh, you know, we started with Toronto Pro Pride as a networking event because, you know, keep in mind that in 2008, most companies didn't sponsor prides. They weren't involved in prides. They didn't have their own pride events. Um, in fact, the first bank, uh, which like if you go to any pride these days, almost uh, with yeah. the exception of a few small ones, there's some bank that's sponsoring it. Right. Yeah. Um, but previous to 2004, that was the first time a bank had ever sponsored a pride event. Um, and there's a lot of controversy over that within the community about people's yeah. opinions on that, um, <laughs> which I won't really comment on one way or another, but, um, but, you know, think of that history of the fact that in 2008, you know, we didn't have 
um, events that even most of the banks or, or law firms or basically any company were, were doing this type of um, space for people to connect that were, you know, uh, two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, intersex, asexual, um, and more. Um, so we started with Toronto Pro Pride and then Montreal Pro Pride and moved over to Calgary and Vancouver and Halifax and, and more. Um, but, you know, that series is something we try to do every year because we try to have that connection. Um, the last two years, it's been entirely virtual Pro Prides. Um, but this year we, we went back to having Pro Prides in uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, um, Toronto, Montreal, and Halifax. Um, and we had live streams of all of them to make them more accessible, both, you know, in terms of location, as well as in COVID sense, if people wanted to participate in the, the panel, but and see the panel, but they weren't able to feel comfortable to come in person. Um, and uh, we also had a virtual pro pride this year. So, so we tried to, you know, provide that, that space. Um, but we're very excited because we were starting to plan our 15th anniversary, um, which will be our uh, next fiscal. So starting May, 2023. Um, and so we want to get even further out there, um, which we may spread out further throughout the year in comparison to historically our Pro Pride series, where our team works really, really ridiculously over a Pride season, um, especially because a lot of companies and, and large employers forget we exist for at least 10 months of the year. Um, and then it's like, oh no, Pride's coming up. So that's why they remember in May that we exist. And then there's June and then they forget we exist again sometimes. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, with that in mind, you know, we, we take the opportunity and we, we make the, the, uh, impact that we can with that focus. Um, and I think every equity deserving, um, or uh, like group organization does that with whatever, um, you know, observance that's going on because, Every company does this around every different issue. It's not just us. It's not just pride. Um, it's just the way that things tend to go. Um, but we really want to make sure that there's focus on our programs throughout the year. So um, our series might look a little different um, for our 15th anniversary year than, than it has historically. Um, but uh, that's just kind of a sneak peek into to what might be coming or will be coming, I should say. So in a sense, we've or I've sort of started with like impact and, and connection and community without going into it's like, okay, so what is pride at work? And but and, yeah. and you know, you've you sort of teasing out um what the outcome is. Uh besides whatever new you're working on beyond pro pride, like upcoming research, what are the different ways in which, like say a company engages with you and you know, they may later on say let's let's do something specific for pride but they reach out to you what is it they're looking for what are you offering them and how do you go about it yeah so as i mentioned we're a member services nonprofit so every employer that we work with pays us an annual $5000 membership fee which uh, we actually haven't changed since 2008 uh, was 
$5,000. So it's, it's actually less money now if you count yeah. inflation um, with more impact and more programming. Uh, we've just gone from the model of let's get more partners on and more people to access this instead of like, let's raise the price. Um, and so within that, we uh, provide a number of different things, including monthly uh, webinars in English um, on kind of 201, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. Um, so for instance, you know, we have uh, one next month on psychological safety and coming out at work um, in connection with coming out day. Uh, we're doing ones in November of this year. Uh, around uh, in English and in French around uh, LGBTQIA plus uh, newcomers and their inclu uh, inclusion in the workplace. So we really try to look at those intersections um, as well as give webinars around direct tips. So we've done ones around like inclusive hiring practices. So if you're doing a virtual application process, what's the most inclusive way to set up that application? Um, you know, and really try to drill down onto what is the, the direct intersectional realities within our community. Um, so, uh, you know, we just did one on bisexual inclusion in the workplace and we had so many people saying, oh my goodness, we need more on bisexual inclusion in the workplace. Like, can we go deeper on this? Um, which is definitely a need seeing as, um, with the research that we, uh, recently did, we found that bisexual people are the most economically disadvantaged when it comes to sexual orientation in Canada by far. Um, uh, bisexual women make um, uh, less than half of what a heterosexual man makes in Canada. Um, and uh, bisexual men make less than um, uh, straight men, gay men, or lesbians. Um, and around the same amount as straight women. And so, you know, we really try to look at those intersections with the, those programming as well as very direct um, pieces like, as I said, the inclusive hiring. Um, I did one through our member workshop series, um, which our webinars, we get external presenters, our member workshops, which we do less frequently. Um, we do uh, with folks from our team because we're asked more for our own expertise. Um, and so I did one on inclusive benefits and what are some of the things that you need to be thinking about in terms of the, the different challenges to accessing benefits, um, including even some of the nitty gritty around like, if your broker doesn't understand how, how to access these none of the things that I've talked about are going to work out. And so how do you work with the broker even um, and really trying to get to that, that nitty gritty. And so our webinar series has really kind of taken off and uh, made a big impact because it's accessible in a way that, um, you know, so, some other things aren't, uh, but we try to make sure that we have other programming as well that goes very, very deep. So like we have our uh, workplace audit program that, uh, has an employer look at every different section of their organization um, in terms of policies, procedures, executive sponsorship, employee resource groups, community outreach, data, uh, what we like to call the pink plateau. So how mm -hmm. higher to us LGBTQIA plus folks reaching in the organization. Um, and we give direct feedback. So we give direct 
um, evaluation of that. None of this is public. It's all private and confidential, um, but it helps them then make a strategic plan around their um, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts around sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, um, and really also, you know, lean on our expertise in terms of what are some of the things that we've seen in their industry, in their size of the organization, in the location of their organization, uh, that we've seen at other companies where we, or I should say large employers, because not all the employers we work with are companies, um, where we really get to be able to talk about, you know, more broadly what we're seeing as trends without having to out those specific companies um, on their confidential information, uh, but just making sure that everybody is um, up to best practice, uh, especially because with, uh, you know, the greater understanding of identities, of different identities within the community, there's also a a continuous learning curve when it comes to our communities um, that I think uh, should be happening for every equity deserving group, but um, definitely is one that uh, has been recognized as something to go a little farther on. And so with the audit, I also will do like consulting calls and I sometimes will do those separate to the audit program as well. Um, Just, you know, quick calls with our partners or sometimes emails, giving them advice on their policy. You know, they send it our way. We'll give it a quick look, um, actually give some feedback on it. Um, So we try to have kind of the, you know, um, these are the, the, the webinars, panels, the member workshops to kind of give these are the best practices or these are the challenges. Then we try to have kind of this more direct consulting piece where we say, okay, we're working with you on this. What does that actually look like in terms of the changes that you can make? Um, And then we also try to have different ways for people who are um, 2S LGBTQIA plus leaders um, or uh, employees who are working on sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, inclusion in their workplaces to connect. Um, So one of our member-only services is our ambassador program, which is based in a number of parts of the country with local representatives from our partner networks. So in Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, um, Ottawa, Montreal, Halifax, and St. John's, um, we have folks from our community partner network who meet up, they connect, they uh, learn from each other, they say, okay, you're doing this, how about we partner on this? Um, you know, they we they have local discussions and they really try to have that like next level of knowing and, and understanding. Um, but we also try to create things for different uh, groups. So uh, for instance, we have a public program called Rendezvous, uh, which happens a couple times a year. That's for women and non-binary folks to connect. We bring in a guest speaker and, and have a specific networking space because we've found that in a lot of networking spaces for our communities. Um, They tend to be a bit sexist, to be quite honest. Um, uh, You know, sometimes in some of those spaces, uh, men are only there to meet other men um, and don't want to talk to anybody who isn't a man. And that's a harsh reality of of our community sometimes. Uh, It's not an overarching thing, but that's one of the reasons why we have rendezvous. Um, And similarly, we see for trans, non-binary, and agender communities that we don't have places to connect usually. So we have matrices as well for for that type of connection. Um, And then we have a few leadership programs, which are an additional fee, um, but uh, our partners get a discount on one for 
people who are in a management track. So uh, Two-Spirit Queer and Trans managers or people who are on that management um, line of things. Um, and uh, that's our Thrive program. And then also our Flourish program, which is actually starting um, uh, or our second version of it is is October, November 2020. Two, um, and that's for employee resource group leaders and Snake Beak program. So we try to have kind of these different focuses to build up the organizations um, from that, you know, very direct uh, consulting support. This is, you know, what we need to do in terms of best practice. Um, the uh, um, direct uh, virtual programming of like these are best practices. These are the challenges. Um, the pieces for members of our community who are leaders, who are, who are making progress or, or who are just trying to network our professionals. Um, and then kind of the fourth bucket that I would add is um, our engagement with ongoing research um, on these issues. Because uh, in terms of employment equity for sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, there's not many... Uh, people doing that work out there or doing that research, right? So it's it's something that we try to get involved in and support and do as much as we can. And then our partners are some of the first to get to see that emerging research or participate in it as well. So, well, so that's just a couple of things. <laughs> you know, we're we're obviously not doing much out over here. I'm sure there's other things I could add to, but but that's uh, like we have our e-learning and and yeah. many other things, but. Um, that's kind of us in a nutshell. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. Well, <laughs> to put one more thing on the top of that bucket. Why don't we like transition into this new project, your Uncover Belonging podcast? And I believe today or this week you just uh, uh, produced your fourth episode. What what is that all about? What is the purpose? What do you hope to accomplish with that? Yeah, so the Uncovering Belonging podcast is a project between myself and Aaron Davis, who is a diversity, equity, and inclusion educator based in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. Um, and uh, she previously was at uh, Catalyst and before that was at Stantec um, doing DEI work and DEI roles. Um, and uh, since has gone independent and um, her and I have always really hit it off and worked very collaboratively together, both when she was at Stantec and when she was at Catalyst. And we both had been thinking about a podcast and doing a podcast. Neither of us, Darren, realized how much work it is. So kudos to you. People don't realize <laughs> just how much work doing a podcast is. Yeah. Um, but uh, we really, you know, we're fascinated by these ideas of uncovering and belonging. So uncovering being this idea that in the workplace, uh, you know, many of us, and, and this can apply to other areas of life, but within the workplace, many of us hide pieces of who we are, right? Yeah. So yeah. there may be pieces of ourselves that we can't choose to hide. Um, so sometimes that means we're, we're visible in terms of our disability or our racial category or you know, sometimes being trans or queer even. Um, uh, I would argue that not all queer people are invisible in minorities. And I, I have issue with that, that conception. Um, and 
However, there's other parts of ourselves that we may be able to cover or hide. Mm -hmm. And we often make that decision about whether we're going to be our true selves or not based on whether it's safe. Um, and we feel, feel a sense of safety. So for instance, for myself, like, you know, I can't hide that I'm trans. That's, that's not something that, that happens. I, my entire career has been in queer work. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's been my life and it's not something that I can hide. Um, however, for a long time, I personally covered some of my disabilities. I covered that I was autistic. I covered that I had ADHD. I covered that I had chronic pain um, because sometimes I could cover those things. Not always, but sometimes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was really something that we wanted to look at because if people don't feel psychologically safe, they're not going to uncover and if they're not going to uncover, they're not going to feel a sense of belonging. So belonging being this idea that, you know, we're all searching for connection. We're uh, going back to kind of our earlier conversation. We're all searching for connection. We all want to find a space where we feel that we are welcome, that we belong, that we are a part of that space in a deep way. Right. And so belonging has really come out of this discussion where diversity, equity, and inclusion doesn't do enough, right? Because diversity says who's in the room. Mm. Equity says, how do we make sure that people are able to get into the room? Mm -hmm. Inclusion <clears throat> says, does everybody feel like they can say something at the table? But belonging looks at the fact that we need to also recognize who built the room it, have people been involved in choosing the music? Have people been involved in the creation of the space as a whole? Uh, because if you have, then you feel a sense of belonging. You feel a sense of connection. And so with this podcast, we really wanted to explore and talk to all the really great you know, diversity, equity, inclusion folks that we know who are really trying to do that work in terms of creating that space for others and we wanted to find out their story and, you know, where was their sense of belonging and how they can uncover. And, and sometimes the, the answer has been, I haven't found my own sense of belonging yet. And I think that's okay with the podcast as well, because we need to be honest that, you know, for many of us, we may still feel a lack of belonging in many, many spaces, um, especially if we are uh, intersectionally, um, uh, marginalized, right? So if we experience multiple marginalizations, like for myself as somebody who's trans, who's disabled, who's uh, feminine, uh, who's femme of center, so I, I experience, you know, trans misogyny and sexism and the like, um, that is going to be a experience where there are going to be very few spaces where there is people just like me, right? Um, however, I am white, and I, I was born in Canada, so I, I do have, and I, I also have a master's, so I have certain privileges as well. And so there's certain things where I may not realize that I'm affecting my power in that space as well. Um, but, you know, really to create that sense of belonging is something that can be done when people come from different experiences. They just all have to feel a sense of ownership and that they've built it together. 
Um, and we really try to do that on like an internal basis and role model what that looks like um, through our own processes at Pride at Work Canada. I mean, we actually won the uh, best diversity, equity and inclusion employer under 20 staff from Charity Village this past year, uh, which it was the first time they did the Charity Village Awards. So we're very honored to win the very first year. Uh, but that's because, you know, none of us are exactly the same, right, within our team. We all have different experiences. Half the team was born outside of Canada. Half the team is able to speak multiple languages. I'm envious of them because <laughs> I can't. Um, but, you know, we, we all bring those different pieces of ourselves and are able to build up the space together and be welcoming of that difference. But I think most employers and most spaces are built by one type of group of people. And then say, oh, we need to include or have these other faces or voices at the table, but not recognize that you built the table. We need to relook at how the table is. You know, maybe the table is not high enough for people in mobility devices to get in. Maybe the table is too high for some people. Maybe we need to not have a table. You know, like it's it's really about rethinking how we create space. And sometimes we have to go back and um, create a new space, um, uh, to find that sense. Um, but you know, we've had so many different in interesting folks on so far. So the most recent e episode was with Jake Stitka, who, you know, was probably one of the only straight cisgender white men that I'll probably interview. Um, but you know, even for him, he was talking about how his experience of patriarchy and, sexism and misogyny and what we tell boys, what we tell men um, in terms of how they need to um, interact was still this intensely important uh, discussion of belonging because it's something that honestly, I think most men don't feel either. Yeah, yeah. And we talk about belonging from the sense of often, um, you know, the marginalized folks, but if people with power as well uh, don't don't have that sense, or I should say with privilege, not necessarily with power, because sometimes you can have certain privileges and still not have much power in, in, in our society. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's something that all of us are searching for. And so, you know, with the episode before that, episode three with David Lewis Pert, you know, he talked about this importance of calling across difference and conversations across difference. And I think that's also something that we really need to look at when we look at belonging, when we look at uncovering, because we're all going into our own little bubbles these days, right? And I think, you know, social media algorithms, that's a whole nother conversation we could have. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of things currently which um, have a lot of positive power too, but are also dividing us and making it so that we can't talk to each other. And if we can't talk to each other, we can't create a space where we all feel like we belong. And so I, I've been very grateful to, to be doing this podcast and for all the support from, you know, our, our editor, Sean Ahmed, and, and my colleague, Luis Augusto Nobre on communications and Connor Pion um, when it comes to production support. Uh, Connor used to work at a radio station briefly, so um, I'm very grateful for him because um, I'm not the organized one of the bunch. I could talk, I could be the face, I could be the the the, the person to chat, but uh, I'm grateful for the more organized members of my team. <laughs> Wonderful. So. 
Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm envious, jealous of the fact that you have a team. It is, it is me. So <laughs> I, I, I know the work and the research, the preparation, and then finding the right services, and then having the time to do things right, and yeah. figuring out should it go here, should it go there. But you know, just sort of we'll bring everything up towards a conclusion here. But I love this conversation about belonging and acceptance because this is this is what I do in my mind mastery, self mastery coaching with clients. And I just had a discovery session with someone yesterday, and that's really the big thing we were talking about, like from mm-hmm. a neuroscience perspective, like our animal brain, the mammalian brain, that's the social brain that wants acceptance and connection and care, the interior yes. cingulate cortex. Um, that's another word for love. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a- a- attention is often as a, as a baby, a-, a parent staring into the child's eyes, if it's getting, you know, good, good love and good care and the cooing and the touching and, and then the belong, you know, as opposed to trying to fit in. And so many of us in the queer community may have had an experience of if we were in a closet, that we were on the margins, my own perceptual experience um was always an observer until I started to come to terms with my identity as a gay man and then starting to evolve into understanding what queerness means for me and then finding my own. So understanding, listening to your experience and what are the things that uh, make you feel like you might be on the margins or that you don't have these spaces where you feel like you can belong. And I, I have an article that's going to be coming out later this week on appealing to our innate human dignity instead of trying to incite further argument and division. It is such a difficult place to come from if you're already in the heat of the argument. And and that, is. that reminds me of something you and I talked about when we first met to talk about um, this podcast. Um, and I think you said something like, you know, I have more, you were saying that you have more leverage in your role now to make sure more change than ever. And you referenced, uh, something Stacey Abrams said, and I quote, when you're focused on your enemy, then you're ignoring your allies. And I think there's two really important points there. Um, you know, we can move mountains when we work with other people that want to help us move that mountain. Um, and in moving that mountain together, we're coming from a place of belonging and acceptance and connection and care. And it doesn't mean we're trying to move that mountain over other people, <laughs> no. but we're leading by example to say, this is a big project, metaphorically the mountain. <laughs> we recognize there's a lot of resistance in our way, but we're doing this together. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think there's so much space for. I think we have so many people who at their core, and and maybe this is just me being an optimistic Sagittarius, but at the core, I truly believe that people are just looking for connection. They're just looking for, to live a decent life. And for most people that is, what they're looking for and what they need. And so if most people are looking for that, there's so much space to connect, to build together, to grow, to, you know, move a mountain or 
find a different way. You know, maybe we need to honor the mountain. Maybe we need to take care of the mountain. Maybe we need to just find ways like around the mountain um, together, you know, and, and really be able to, to think up new ways or even going back to old ways. Um, and by what I mean by that is, you know, uh, decolonize uh, some of our thinking in terms of like solutions and in terms of how we create solutions and really create some of that space for each other. Cause I think we have so much, so many people who really care. And I think one of the points that um, Deepak Kashyap, who, who was in the first episode of our, of the uncovering blogging podcast um, one of his mentors said to him that is really ringing my head right now is that um, she was speaking to him and saying, you believe that the reasons for the problems in the world is because of um, human evilness or, or wrongness. But I believe, and so this was her speaking, that it is the result of human weakness and that has resonated with me very strongly. You know, it's not that anybody is, well, there may be a few people, um, but for the majority, people just want to, to have community. They want to have connection. And there is enough of us who are doing this work. We don't need to compete. There's no reason for us to compete because there is so much work to do. So let's look at ways that we can work together that we can, you know, move that mountain, move around that mountain, find different ways with that mountain, um, and create those spaces together. Beautiful. Well, maybe I can ask you like a final thought question, give you an opportunity for a thought leadership question here. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you haven't been doing that for the last like 50 minutes here, but is, is there a core message or philosophy, whether it's your own or in the work that you do, and, and it could of course overlap that that you would that you would share with our listeners? Well, maybe I'll I'll share the point that I have on my work badge. So I'm um a Githya. Um uh so within my religious community, um, which is essentially the traditional beliefs of uh, Northern Europe pre-colonization. So we believe in um, uh, we're animists. We we see life uh, everywhere. Um, we have multiple gods, but primarily the focus is our community um, and the connections that we make within community. And one of the statements that we use quite often, which I have put on my work badge to remind me every day, is we are our deeds. And I think. Sometimes when it comes to this work, we get very held up when it comes to the words that we use. We get very held up on um, the way that we're perceived. But really, when it comes to this type of work, when it comes to belonging, when it comes to building community, it can be messy. It can be hard. It can be all of these things. But at the end of the day, the actions that you take are what is more important. So if you take actions that are inclusive, that are accountable, that are compassionate, everything that you do, even if you make mistakes, is going to make a positive influence in the long run. Beautiful. Well, where do people go to find out more about Pride at Work and the podcast? 
Yeah, so Pride at Work Canada, and it's important to add the Canada on there because there is a Pride at Work in the US, which is a labor organization, and a Pride at Work UK, which is a DEI like consultancy in the UK. So Pride at Work Canada, so prideatwork.ca, um, or you can find us on uh, Twitter, um, uh, Pride at Work Can, uh, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh Instagram. I'm not the social media person, but but you can find them in all those places. And then in terms of uh, myself, you can find me on Twitter at Jade Pichette um, or on LinkedIn. Please feel free to send me a LinkedIn request. Um, of course, Private Work Canada is on LinkedIn as well. Um, and in terms of the podcast, you can find it on uh, basically anywhere that you look for your podcast. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Podcaster, and many, many more. Um, or you can just go um, directly onto the Private Work Canada website and go to the podcast link. Jay Bichette, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time that you've given me today. I know you've got a very busy schedule, so I appreciate you showing up and telling me more about Pride at Work. And I look forward to uh, diving into some of the episodes on Uncover Belonging podcast. Thank you so much, Darren. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, hello again, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Think Queerly with Jay Bichette. It was a really informative and thoughtful interview for me, and I really appreciate towards the end when we talked about belonging and acceptance and care. This is what is so meaningful to me in the work that I do, that I talk about on the podcast, that I write about on my Substack, Queering Self Mastery, and in the work that I do with my coaching clients. My purpose, my mission, I guess you could also call it is when you freely love who you are, you can freely create a life you love. And that depends on acceptance. That depends on feeling like you belong. That depends on feeling like you have the freedom to pursue your purpose, but also to be who you are without any blocks, without anything holding you back. And that's going to make the difference in whatever it is you create, whatever it is you are seeking to change, the impact that you want to have on your community or on the world. So if that's something that you're interested in, if, if you're having a struggle or if you're challenged by any of those issues in your own life, I'd love to have a conversation. I start by meeting you where you at, where you at, <laughs> where you're at, in a discovery session, which is entirely complimentary. And I'll have the link in the show notes below. You can also head over to my website, darrensteel.com and look for the let's work together or working together menu option. And you'll find out more about the kind of coaching that I offer and how we can connect. As always, thanks for listening. And if you can't think straight, think queerly. <laughs>